welcome to the Overdue Podcast, Episode 10. I'm Kelly, and with me today are my fellow Madison College librarians, Christina. Hello. And Mark. Hello. Our special guest today is our boss, Julie Gores. Welcome, Hello. Julie. <laughs> today on the podcast, we'll start with a book club update, talk with Julie about a variety of topics, including fantasy football, and we'll have waiting in Westeros, trivial observations, and our Anything Goes recommendations. But first, an update about the book club. As you may recall from our previous podcast, the Feminism for All student organization here on campus is hosting a book club this semester. The book of choice is called Bad Feminist by Roxane Gay. It was given the award of Best Book of the Year by NPR, Boston Globe, Newsweek, Time Out New York, Oprah.com, Miami Herald, Book Riot, BuzzFeed, Globe and Mail, Toronto, The Root, and Shelf Awareness. In it, Gay covers many topics, including gender, sexuality, race, politics, and the self, and the intersections of these aspects. Yesterday was the club's first discussion. Uh, the book generated some great conversation among everyone who attended. It was a safe, respectful place to explore ideas and share thoughts. I want to thank everyone for uh, their participation. And if you are interested in reading along and meeting up for next, the next discussion, there is still plenty of time. You can check out a copy of Bad Feminist from the Truex Library, or if you are at a different campus, we would be happy to get a copy out for you. The next meeting will be at the Truex Creator Studio, room B3211, on Tuesday, November 7th, from 1230 to 130. The discussion will focus on the middle section of the book. All right, so I have the pleasure of introducing our special guest today, Julie Gores. Uh, Julie grew up in Fond du Lac, and she is the fifth child of eight. Wow, seven of them girls. <laughs> Julie commutes from Milwaukee every day, where she's been living since 1986, and she is currently Dean of Libraries and Academic Support Services, which oversees tutoring, library services, our wonderful student computer help desk, and more recently, our creator studio, where we typically create these types of podcasts. Um, so we were just hoping to get a little bit of your perspective on kind of your thoughts as a library director, um, things you're excited about, um, anything you'd like to share with our audience. Sure. Well, thanks for inviting me. Um, you know, I must tell you that I'm going on 10 years in this position, and I'm very happy to report that I actually still love my job. <laughs> um, those of you taking part in the podcast and our other librarians, as well as our Student Achievement Center staff, have honestly been the best group of professionals that I have ever worked with, and I've worked with some pretty good teams. Um, we've accomplished so much as a team, and all of those efforts have directly impacted student success. So really, our bottom line uh, is that, and I think we have a lot to be proud of. Uh, it continues to be a real pleasure to serve with this team and also for our students. It's been really rewarding for me, um, and how many of us are lucky enough to say that we have a lot of fun on our job, I think, too. So, um, but I think it's what makes makes us tick as a group. Mm -hmm. um, it's really an exciting time to be a librarian. Um, our most recent venture, the Creator Studio, is the perfect example of what I was just uh, talking about with the creativity and the hard work of our team. Students, especially this semester now, it's really picked up. Just love this spot uh, where they can build and tinker and create and um, even just de-stress. So. 
there are many opportunities for us. Our team is so creative and we have um, many ways to continue to explore um, new ways that we can serve our students. And quite frankly, I think our team loves that challenge. So it really makes it easy to come into work each day with this team and working with the students and our profession itself and just uh, how creative and so many opportunities that we have. So um, I'm excited, like I said, to uh, still be here. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I know. I definitely feel the same as I never thought I would be sitting around a table doing a podcast with random fabric scattered across the table from our creator studio back in the day. <laughs> so thank you. Um, we were hoping to give our audience uh, a little insight into the psyche of a library director mm. and dean. Um, so we wanted to ask you some rapid fire questions uh, to try, try to get to the core of your tastes, your preferences, your values. Uh, are you ready to play rapid fire? Okay, yes, yes it's <laughs> Pat Penitur said, you hit me with your best shot. <laughs> so we're going to be uh, asking you either a simple question okay. or an either-or question. We have to choose between two options. Okay. Um, and we'd like you to answer as fast as you can to give us your gut reaction. All right. Okay, are you ready? Uh, ready. We'll start off easy, okay? Fiction or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Puzzles or Legos? Puzzles. Characters or plot? Uh, characters. Books that make you laugh or books that make you cry? Uh, cry. Weirdest thing you've used as a bookmark? <laughs> uh, <laughs> nothing too weird. Maybe a pencil. Okay. Sure. We have another... Uh, All right. I go next. Yes. All right. Dark chocolate or milk? Milk. Green tea or black? Green. Okay. Um, a night at the opera or a day at the races? Uh, a night at the opera. Excellent. Um, electronic calendar or paper? Electronic. Okay. Checkers or chess? Uh, checkers. Okay. okay. <laughs> All right, Mark. Okay. Wisconsin or Marquette? Ooh. <laughs> Wisconsin. Okay. Kindle or iPad? iPad. Mm-hmm. Paper newspapers or online newspapers? Paper newspapers. All right, good for you. <laughs> and actually, with that, would you like to add uh, um, your family history, your dad? Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm loyal. My father was an editor of a newspaper, and my brother currently works for the Journal Sentinel, so, uh, so I'm a very pro-newspaper yeah. person. All right. Paper arts or building and tinkering? Paper arts. All right. And then finally, a couple segue questions here. Um, fantasy football or March Madness pool? Mm, that's a tough one. <laughs> I would say fantasy football. Okay. Um, I'm glad you answered that way. Um, <laughs> so in-person fantasy football draft or online fantasy football draft? Online. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. I still miss the in-person days. Of, yeah. And with that, um, that is a segue into our next segment, um, which is talking about fantasy football. Uh, 
why fantasy football? In addition to being the Dean of Libraries and Academic Support Services here at Madison College, Julie is also a very competitive fantasy football participant. Uh, last year in the staff football league, she took second, um, and which was quite the accomplishment because um, Donna had just an amazing draft. She uh, was that, dominant. Yeah. <laughs> or dominant. <laughs> <laughs> And Julie is currently second in the league uh, this year, uh, and she also participates in other fantasy leagues, correct? Uh, yep, we have a family right? fantasy okay. league. Yeah. According to a 2015 article by Ed Stitch in the online business journals, you might want to use information literacy um, mm -hmm. uh, criteria in mm -hmm. checking that article. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, in that study, um, it was shown that employees playing in some type of fantasy league with co-workers had higher scores on survey items measuring teamwork and trust. Given the source, um, do you agree with that business study about the value of fantasy football or uh, fantasy sports in general in the workplace? Uh, things like uh, March Madness as well too. Or is it just about the fun of doing it? You know, I think it's actually a little bit of both, but I do agree um, absolutely that um, it impacts, I think, the teamwork. Um, you know, it helps employees get to know each other on a sort of a different type of level. And, you know, sometimes you are surprised and you find out, for example, you know, how brutally competitive librarians actually can be. <laughs> I thought I was bad, but I think I have some equal partners in that. Um, or you find out the quietest person on the staff is the world's biggest trash talker. Um, so, you know, so it's very interesting. And I think, you know, it encourages that rapport beyond, you know, business talk, I guess. Um, you know, however, in creating that rapport, I think it also... Um, does fold into better communication within the work environment on all levels then once you've sort of established that. So we've even included student workers in our league and I think it's also a great way to uh, build a team cutting across generations as well. So I would honestly highly recommend it as a team building tool um, in the workplace. So that's kind of looking at it from the uh, teamwork kind of side about it. What about the situation with um, students that we notice we, we would like them to be using our our uh, PCs for academic work all the time. <laughs> yes. uh, however, this is not always the case. They, mm -hmm. they can be on Facebook. And this time of the year, uh, we see, um, especially on Thursdays um, mm -hmm. in the end of the week, a lot of students checking their fantasy football team. Do you see, and again, the same sort of question as the first one, do you see some um, value there in um, critical thinking skills or you know is it just something that um, you deal with and let students do you know just because they need some stress relief as well yeah you know I do see value in it and I think we were actually way ahead of the game uh, I don't know if it was 2008 or 2010 we did the fantasy soccer mm -hmm. and sort of tried to tie in information I won that by the way oh okay <laughs> so, yes Kelly, Kelly won so and you know we tried to tie that in with information literacy and I think um, I, th I think we did a pretty good job of that um, you know so uh, to me it does involve things like developing strategy uh, using statistics, consulting print and electronic resources, and you know it even comes down to something as simple as learning um, the system that you're using. You know, so those are all 
things that we either have to look at or use in our lives or on our jobs on a pretty regular basis. So I feel like we've almost proven, I know it's out there, but I feel like we've almost proven that and, and sort of believe that as a team as well. So um, I think it's good. And I think whether it's for stress or not, you know, the students may not even realizing, realize they're doing it and um, in using those skills and learning those skills. And if they just are doing it for stress relief, hooray. But, you know, secretly they're getting, you know, they're getting a triple dose of other stuff. So I, I firmly believe that it, it does help. And, um, you know, and sometimes if we can incorporate it like we did in, for the soccer uh, league a while ago, um, you know, more power to us because I think it pulls in students that we might not normally see. You know, it's, it's interesting. Actually, a couple of weeks ago on a Thursday night, there were uh, a couple of gentlemen um, that were checking their fantasy football rosters, and um, they were talking at a reasonable level, by the way. <laughs> um, but uh, one of them I heard mention about a player being injured, and the other person you know, looked over and and said something to the effect of, oh, you can't trust that site. Mm. And, and I actually Yay. thought that was really oh, cool. That, that's great um, to hear. Know, to get you know, valid information on injury reports. and um, So they have fake news for fantasy football. There is fake news for, <laughs> okay. well, there are people's blogs. Oh, um, sure. Where, okay. Yeah. So, But, you know, it's still where are you getting your information yeah. and um, to be able to use it. So, And if you do it enough, I think you do find those reliable sources and, um, and it is interesting. So um, I actually kind of went on a mission one of the first couple of games um, this this season. I had a really terrible defense. It was scoring like three points, you know. So um, so I sort of went on this mission and all sort of point, all things pointed to putting Philadelphia on my defense. And uh, that particular week, I think they scored like 24 points for me. So um, not as much since, but certainly better than what I started out with um, and I can't even remember what that defense was, actually. But all I knew, it was irritating me. So, um, so you know, so even even we, you know, even we, we might see it and all that. But we, we also use those skills. Like I said, I mean, I think it's just everybody uses those kinds of skills, whether they recognize it or not. And we recognize that uh, people listening out there, not everybody might be into fantasy football. But um, as Julie mentioned, uh, a couple of years ago, we had a fantasy soccer and there's actually a lot of different fantasy sports um, out there. So to close this segment, we'd just like to go around a table here. And if you had to develop a fantasy sport of uh, your own interest, uh, what would it be and why? And I think we'll go in alphabetical order here. So Okay, I can start us off. Um, I tried to think of something a little out of the box um, and a sport that I love to watch after the Macy's Day Parade. It's not a football game. It is the National Dog Show. Okay. I love watching the National Dog That's Show. That's a great idea. I think that would be a fun fantasy league to participate in because we all have, like, the dog, you know, the underdog or, you know, the top dogs that are competing. <laughs> all right. And am I next? Okay. Next. Well, I don't, I'm not into sports, but I do, I love each July the Tour de France comes up, and I know they do have a fantasy league. Mm -hmm. And so um, maybe this July we can do that here that would be fun um, last year wasn't so great both my favorite two my two favorite players were out on the second day mm -hmm. and so I didn't really pay too, very much attention to it so I would have lost horribly if I had done it 
But um, that would be mine, and I know it, it already exists, and I think it's existed for at least a decade. Mm -hmm. so. I actually, you know, was thinking this through a little bit too, and I, I went outside the sports arena, um, and I couldn't, I, you know, I couldn't quite figure out how you would actually do it, but. Um, but it would be really fun to be in some kind of league involving American history. I think that would be really interesting. So, yeah, I can't believe you took the dog show. Oh, I, no way. The Westminster yeah. show. Uh, I think, um, yeah, um, I was going to go with a fantasy um, dog thing, and then I was just scrambling here in the last couple seconds. Okay. Here, what did you come up with? With a something else, and I, and I couldn't. You know, That's okay. Great minds think alike. Great minds. I, I think the dog show at Westminster is just begging for. Uh, That's like true. That is a great idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. So our next segment is waiting in Westeros with Dana and Kelly. Night is dark and full of terrors. What is dead may never die, but rises again, harder and stronger. Valor Magolis. Valor Daharis. Hello, I'm Dana. And I'm Kelly. And we're Waiting, Waiting in, in Westeros. Westeros. Last time we discussed the major religions of Westeros, the faith of the seven and the old gods of the north. Today, one of the religions we're going to talk about is a religion of Essos that's slowly gaining followers in Westeros. This religion's god is known as Rahalor, the Lord of Light, or the Red God. Their favorite saying is, the night is dark and full of terrors. They have red priests and priestesses that spread the fiery gospel. They look into the flames and see visions and interpret them to do their red god's bidding. So far, it seems that Rahalor is the only god to have supernatural ability to affect physical change in Westeros. In other words, he seems to be the only god with any power, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. From what we gather, the main goal of the Red Gods is to push back the darkness and protect his followers from the Great Other, whoever that is. We know that he thinks the Great Other is the enemy, but why? We don't know. Anything else to say about the Red God, like his history or rituals? <laughs> well, we know they really like setting swords on fire. True. <laughs> and aside from the human sacrifices, they seem like pretty decent folks. They do. <laughs> the Drowned God, also known as He Who Dwells Beneath the Waves, is the god of the Iron Islands. Iron Men, as they are known, are a Viking pirate culture whose motto is, We Do Not Sow. I think of all the religions, it's the creepiest, and that's saying something. Mm -hmm. However, they are adept at their CPR training. <laughs> yeah, they really take baptism to a whole new level. Their greeting and parting words to each other is, What is dead may never die, but rises again, harder and stronger. Also, their priests and followers all seem to be men. There doesn't seem to be a whole lot of regard for women within their culture. No, this is one of the many examples of how George brings up the status of women in the series. Also, we think that both of these religions present an opportunity to discuss blind faith and the consequences. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's move on to Bravos across the narrow sea to discuss the many-faced god. The most mysterious religion, their words are Valar Margulis, which means all men must die, and Valar Daharis, which means all men must serve. Their temple, which is called the House of Black and White, displays all the known faces of all the gods. They are very secretive and trained assassins. Anyone can hire them, but the price is always high. 
For those that like to discuss religion, this one gives the readers a lot to work with. Is there anything else that we need to mention? Well, we know that they do not fear death, and I hope more will be revealed as the series progresses. Yeah, me too. All right, so that's all we know about that. There are many more religions, but very little is known about them. Mm -hmm. Such as the storm god, the horse god of the Dothraki, the black goat, and one of our favorites, the moon pale maiden, which is worshipped by the sailors. (laughs) Yep. I hope George reveals more about these religions. It's one of my favorite aspects of the series. You say that about a lot of things. (laughs) True. (laughs) Well, that about wraps it up as far as the religions in A Song of Ice and Fire go. Yep. Join us next time on Waiting in Westeros for the first in a seven... There's that number again. ...part series on the different districts or kingdoms of Westeros. Like the foods, drinks, clothing, and customs? Just so. Valor Mogulis. So now it's time for Trivial Observations with Mark. As always, um, I tried to come up with a segment that matched uh, the theme of uh, the presentation. Uh, Today was a little bit challenging since we (laughs) talked about libraries Mm -hmm. and fantasy football and how to uh, get those two together, but I think I did it, (laughs) and I think I came up with enough interesting questions that even if you're not a big fan of football, uh, you might have fun with the questions. There are three sets of questions. Um, each um, set has a main question and a follow-up. Um, so here we go. The first question. From 1883 to 1929, this person was credited with spending $55 million of his own fortune to open over 2,500 libraries in the United States. Carnegie. Okay. <laughs> We usually like to start with a, an easier <laughs> <laughs> So we feel good about ourselves. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. You got confidence. <laughs> so the follow-up for that question, Carnegie was obviously a very wealthy man. I think they've done ratio studies of mm. you know the, yeah. um, mm-hmm. what he made and uh, what it cost, and he still ranks among the top 10, sure. if not higher. Uh, he made his money in a number of ways. However, he was um, commonly associated uh, with one particular industry. That industry, uh, what current NFL franchise took its name uh, from that industry? Yes. Okay. Julie? Yeah, Steel. Yes, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, so uh, the Carnegie Steel industry in uh, Pittsburgh. And uh, probably those of you um, that are interested in higher education trivia know that Carnegie Mellon University is there as well. So, uh, but the Pittsburgh Steelers. Great. Next set. The American Library Association features posters of celebrities reading books for many years. One of the best-selling posters in this series featured Drew Brees, who is a quarterback for the New Orleans Saints. What book was he reading? <laughs> oh, gosh. And let me, I'll, I'll give you this much. Um, I'll give you a couple of clues if you don't okay. get it right off the bat. Uh, do you want to? The History yeah. of Mardi Gras. That's a great guess. <laughs> and you're, you're thinking along the right, that's one of the clues okay. to think New Orleans. Okay, okay. 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 Famous writers from New Orleans. 
Uh, Anne Rice is from New Orleans. Ooh, <laughs> interview with a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> the, the book he chose had to do, um, there was from New Orleans, some, somebody, that an illustrator that adapted a children's book. Maurice Sendai. Um, no, no, but that's a great, great guess. Um, so it was a children's book. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's your second. So think about oh, okay. New Orleans issues with it and mm-hmm. think about children's books. Gosh. Hmm. Not coming up with anything. Okay. The Itsy Bitsy Spider. Oh. Um, and with uh, Katrina and it, um, Drew Brees has actually done a lot of charity work in the city of New Orleans and uh, he's been very involved and I, I think all of that was tied in uh, with it. Alright, the follow-up question mm-hmm. with that, uh, what current Madison College librarian during his time as a high school teacher in Austin, Texas had Drew Brees in his class? I did not know that he had Drew Brees in his class. This is what he has told me. Um, wow. This is this is information going back several years. So, um, so Matt, it is Matt oh, Cohn. Nice. All right. It, Drew Brees was at least in the high school, but I, I believe Matt said that he was actually in the class that Matt was um, teaching there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was West Westlake mm-hmm. High School in Austin. And in said Austin. he was a very Good student and nice person. Nice. That's what I've heard. Great. That's good to know. Thank yep. you for backing up. That. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And finally, the last set. Whose 1975 short story entitled The Last Super Bowl Game envisioned the year 2016 as being the last physical Super Bowl that was replaced by virtual Super Bowls from that point mm-hmm. on? What's the year again? Again, whose 1975 short story entitled The Last Super Bowl Game envisioned 2016 being the last physical Super Bowl to be replaced by virtual Super Bowls. And it actually, um, if you look at the story, what was involved with it were the the physical damage to players getting bigger and everything, Mm -hmm. and concussions was mentioned. Really? And also predicted that technology would be to the point where the virtual uh, presentation, you know, would be um, just Hmm. as good Hmm. to watch. So, and these are things that actually we might be coming to um, Mm -hmm. with uh, NFL, so. Right. Did we get a hint on the <laughs> on the author? The author is currently uh, very popular for um, other books that he's written. Is it? It's not Stephen King. It is not Stephen King. That's a great guess. Though. Yeah, that that's right. something that would have been my yeah. guess. Yeah. No, Crichton did some sci-fi. It was too late for Philip K. Dick, right? Yeah. Um, well, I think he died in 1980. Okay. But that's yeah, also, you know, thinking about science fiction. Yeah. You might even want to go with science fiction fantasy. Mm, I'll take a guess. Kurt Vonnegut? Kurt Vonnegut is an awesome guess. <laughs> um, because he's the player piano was along those. Kelly, you probably are aware of an author that you enjoy very much that actually is an NFL fan. George R. R. Martin was the author of the short story. Wow! <laughs> I should have known wow. that. That's amazing. <laughs> Very cool. What Green Bay Packer just recently, in an August 2017 interview, 
uh, revealed that he is not only a fan of the TV series Game of Thrones, but also has read all the books by George R. R. Martin. I'm going to guess Aaron Rodgers. It is Aaron yes. Rodgers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he had uh, he had some interesting theories. Oh, yes. I've never heard him speak on that topic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if, if you look it up, Aaron Rodgers' Game of Thrones, uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot that's oh, out there. I'll have to and, do that. A lot of memes going around. Good to know he reads books too. And yes. he, yeah. He's actually, yeah, um, he was actually on Celebrity Jeopardy and oh. won. Um, he's actually okay. very, very smart. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. That was, you stumped us again. Yeah. All right. I'll have to read that George R. R. Martin short story. All right. So our next segment is our Anything Goes recommendations, and that can be a book, a movie, restaurant, whatever. So we are going to let um, Christina go first. Me again first. Okay. Sorry. (laughs) No, it's okay. Um, What I wanted to share today was an audio book I checked out from the South Campus Library, our newest library um, in part of our district. Um, I checked it out for a really long car ride, and it's called The Underground Airlines. And it's a fantasy book based on the idea that uh, Abraham Lincoln was assassinated and that the Civil War never took place. Um, but it's modern times, takes place in modern times. Uh, it's a very interesting story. So, and it had an excellent, excellent reader. I can't, I can't talk enough about how many accents oh. he did and how great he was. Okay. So, that sounds, so Abraham Lincoln was murdered before, before the Civil War. Before the Civil War, yes. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. interesting. All right. So I'm next, and my recommendation is a little odd. Um, it's an uh, eight-episode series on Netflix called American Vandal. And it's a satirical mockumentary, um, and it takes aim at um, the series Making of a Murderer, which mm-hmm. was about the, the documentary about the Stephen Avery case. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it, you know everybody's familiar with that. Um, it also takes aim at some of the podcasts that um, have come out recently, Serial and mm-hmm. S-Town. Mm-hmm. It also, it, it's, it's very funny, but it's also high school boy humor. Um, it's still funny, but just be aware. <laughs> and um, but one of the things, it, it's very smart, but you don't really realize how smart it is until you're three or four episodes in. You're like, oh, okay, I see what they're doing. And one of the things that struck me about it was uh, that you know high school is tough enough, but now young people have to deal with this online life that's being documented 24 7 so I just you know it's just like oh gosh I'm glad that that's I don't have to do that (laughs) that it it would be terrible and I mean you send one a text to one friend thinking it's private and then the next thing it's online and Mm -hmm. everybody knows it's also about in making of a murderer if you're you know kept up with that there was just this online community on people that they had their theories and they knew what was Mm. right and da 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 and they also do do that on um, American Vandal, but it is, it is very funny. Anyway, uh, I enjoyed it, and definitely the best way to watch it is just binge it. Mm, it's nice. eight episodes, so they're about half hour to 40 minutes. You could just knock it out in a weekend, and uh, it's very good. I look forward to the filmmaker's next project. Uh, you know, I thought it was that good. And also the actors in it, they, you know, not very experienced, but they really had, like, an honesty 
uh, about them, and um, it was it was fun. I recommend it highly. I, I would also recommend it yeah. highly, and I think it can be enjoyed on its sophomoric level. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, if you're willing to think about it, all the things that you mentioned, yeah, yeah, great. Okay, so um, Mark, you would be next. Sure. Um, well, with the theme today with uh, football, um, I'd like to recommend a 2015 book called Tribal. College Football and the Secret Heart of America. The author is uh, Diane Roberts. She's a journalist, um, and she's also an NPR contributor, or at least uh, used to be. And um, she was an, when she was in college, she was an undergrad at Florida State University and a big fan of the football team, and is still a big fan of the football team, uh, despite the fact that they've had a lot of um, off-field issues mm-hmm. and scandals. And uh, you, um, you, Julie, you're a big fan. You probably know the issues with Jameis Winston and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, she reported on all of that and was very tough. And she is, her book, um, she struggled with why she's still such a big fan and still goes to the games and cheers with everybody. Mm-hmm. And the title that she picked, um, Tribal, um, it was deliberate. Um, the, not just with college football, but just generally uh, tribalism in America and people getting behind their team or issue. Okay. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. All right, so Julie, you get to go last. Well, I have the might be have the funkiest one here. Um, so, for those of you who are history buffs and or beer connoisseurs, <laughs> um, I am recommending a road trip to Milwaukee mm-hmm. to visit the former Pabst Brewery for a tour. Mm-hmm. Um, the story of Pabst Brewing is really really interesting. Um, uh, you know, Captain Pabst and the fact that he wasn't the original guy to start it and all of that. Um, it's just a really neat story, and actually it will make you love Pabst beers again. Um, <laughs> and um, and then the architecture of the buildings is so fascinating. It's like seven city blocks wide, and um, I mean, they just don't make buildings like that anymore. Um, it was really fun. I did it with this girls group, and um, we had a blast and laughed a lot. And then the guy who ended up buying the property and saving it, uh, basically from demolition, um, he ends up participating in these tours, and he's just a hoot. I mean, this like millionaire guy is just um, uh, really fun to be around, and adds a lot of spunk to the whole thing. Um, but you can also see that you know he put a lot on the line to you know save history and save. Um, really great architecture so um, and then you know even the best part about it is that you get free beer throughout the whole thing so but, it, but it's Pabst though <laughs> it is Pabst <laughs> it is Pabst in all of their variations I didn't know how many variations they oh, had I just thought it was one but, but yeah but yeah. after hearing the history and then hearing like the Captain Pabst was like this man of great integrity who treated his employees um, like one of the pieces little pieces of history they share is he gave them a $200 bonus every year, every mm. single employee, and he had like thousands of them. That's the equivalent of a $10,000 bonus today. Mm. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, even though it is past fear, it actually makes you want to drink. <laughs> you know, I'm going to like this. That, that is actually on my list of things that I really want to do. I just haven't gotten around to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Milwaukee is a lot of um, great places mm-hmm. to visit, and 
a lot of uh, hidden neighbor, neighborhoods yeah. that mm -hmm. um, with really old buildings and yep. uh, um, so. But yeah, the Pabst is that's uh, definitely something that is on my list to. Uh, yeah, it's sure. worth the trip, and then right down the street is the um, new Bucks mm -hmm. uh, Stadium, which is quite impressive. So that whole area, which is part of the Pabst area too. Uh, is really going to be, you know, a neat place for anybody in the state, let alone the country, um, uh, you know, visit. I think it'll be really, they're doing a great job. So, What are they doing with the Bradley Center property once the, it shifts to... Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they're going to tear that down. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, they're keeping the old Mecca. All right. And um, so I have a feeling that Pabst is going to... Or not the Pabst. The Bradley Center, I think, might go down. Go down. Yeah. But they want to have kind of like a, a corridor of things to do going yeah around. I mean they it's just I mean if you if you haven't been there for a while I mean it just looks like a completely different place in the you know new buck stadium is phenomenal and then the paps buildings they're saving some of the paps buildings well they're saving all of them but they're um, putting in new hotels in those buildings and restaurants and um, and then uh, you know it's a venue for weddings and all kinds of things so um, yeah I would highly recommend it you know it's one of those things everybody's like eh, who wants to go to Milwaukee and downtown Milwaukee but it's actually it's really worth the trip and just the Pabst tour is is alone worth the trip but but there's a lot of things you find even for somebody who's lived in Milwaukee I was just shocked at how much that area has grown so so anyway I digress a little bit all right worth the trip thank all you right. okay well that looks like it's it for us today Next time on the podcast, we will have Madison College history professor Jonathan Pollock, and the topic will be looking for happy days and making America great again, nostalgia in television and film. Thank you, Julie, for being our guest today. You're Thanks welcome for having back. me. Yeah, you're welcome back anytime. And also a big thank you today to our board monkey, the other Mark. Yeah. <laughs> thank you all for listening. This has been a production of Madison College Libraries Creator Studio. Yeah.